You're listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It's not just radio, it's community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Good morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts, Mid-Missouri's only in-depth weekly art show. My name is Diana Moxham. The world has changed for all of us over the past couple of weeks. It seems almost surreal that it is just 14 days since True False was packing the Missouri Theatre and Jesse Hall and the arts energy in Columbia was at its annual peak. Today, every venue is shuttered, all theatre and music shows are cancelled, the library and public schools are closed and we're all wondering how this is all going to turn out. Life has changed at KOPN too. The safety of the station is paramount and so we have taken the decision to cancel all in-studio broadcasting and do everything remotely. For talk shows like Speaking of the Arts, it means we need to do things a little differently. And so, for an indeterminate time going forward, I am pre-recording the Speaking of the Arts show so that we can broadcast them as usual in our regular time slot. So, with no arts events coming up, What should we talk about on Speaking of the Arts? Well, I thought that this week I'd chat with some of our local arts leaders, Monica Palmer from the Missouri Symphony Orchestra and Kelsey Hammond from the Columbia Art League about what their plans are for their own organisations and maybe some great ideas that they have to keep us all engaged. Everyone is navigating uncharted waters right now and none of us have a definitive answer. But we do have an incredibly creative arts community and all the wondrous opportunity that our digital age presents. Nationally, almost three and a half million people are employed by over 673,000 organisations which create or distribute the arts. And this represents just over 2% of all US employees. Here in Boone County alone, almost 1,600 people are employed by 314 arts-related businesses. And all of these people are now trying to work out what the new normal looks like. One of the people on the front line of this new normal is Michael Donovan, the Executive Director of the Missouri Arts Council since 2015. Michael has worked in the arts for over 35 years, serving on boards and panels for many arts institutions, such as the Mid-America Arts Alliance and the National Endowment for the Arts. He regularly gives talks on arts programme development, fundraising and arts marketing. And so it is indeed fitting that Michael is my first guest on the new digitally recorded Speaking of the Art show. Michael, thank you for taking time to chat. Thank you, Diana. We are in such a fluid situation right now that the facts on the ground, one minute, are old news within a couple of hours. But one thing that we do all now know is that there are no arts and culture events for the foreseeable future. How is this presenting different challenges for large well-funded organizations versus more nimble but more modestly funded ones? Well, I, I think it's, fund, it's affecting the organizations differently, but it's affecting every organization from the largest to the smallest. And I think the, the problem is that some organizations are going to be less able to weather this than others. And we're finding that it's not only uh, canceling their programming and the, the things that they're creating, but it's canceling the things that they depend on for the cash flow, like galas and fundraising events. So that's pretty much across the board. And 
their ability to adapt to this depends partly on the funds, uh, the resources that they have, as well as the type of programming that they do. You know, if they're doing festivals, for example, that would involve large groups of people uh, in a public outdoor area, that's very difficult to replicate in some other way. Uh, and yet some other groups have been able to do virtual replications of what they're doing or live stream uh, performances that they would otherwise do in person. How many organizations, as a percentage, roughly, would you say, have a rainy day fund? That's hard to estimate because a large organization might have an endowment instead of a rainy day fund. So that obviously puts them in much better stead for a much longer time. Others might have a smaller fund that might be good for a month or two. And some many, uh, maybe even most, don't have any at all. Uh, and I... Is as we get deeper into this, the more it feels like this is not going to be a short one or two month uh, situation. Right. Many of the businesses that are currently funders are themselves going to be in crisis mode once this ends. What kind of conversations have you been having with funders around the state? Well, many of the, the funders are already in crisis mode. They're suffering the same cash flow issues as the arts organizations for the very same reason. They can't do business. They can't have a public presence. Starting midnight tonight in St. City of St. Louis, restaurants cannot have dine-in uh, guests. And um, starting Friday, I believe, uh, groups of 10 or more will be prohibited publicly as well. So that makes it very hard to do business. And if you're an organization depends on the generosity of businesses, uh, that's going to affect you as well. The Missouri Arts Council funds over, I think, 600 organizations around the state. But it, it seems inevitable that some just won't be able to survive without audience income. What advice are you giving to arts groups who don't have contingency funding to fall back on? Well, what we're already seeing is groups are restricting what they're spending. They're, uh, some people have been sent home, contracts have been canceled. Uh, a lot of this is affecting the artists themselves. As arts organizations, we don't, uh, we don't exist without the work of artists. And so we're seeing that this is gonna hit probably initially and personally with the artists themselves. Right, what, what are you hearing from some of the arts organizations that you have been able to talk to so far? Have you had, are you getting a lot of calls and conversations with people? We, we get calls all day long from the organizations, from peoples, from arts organizations and individual artists. And it's a situation that's causing a lot of anxiety and some amount of panic because you really don't know what we're dealing with. We don't know how long this will last. So you don't know how to plan for an outcome, uh, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And so this is a situation in which we're suggesting groups start talking together. And uh, as recently as Monday, the theater groups in Columbia uh, met together, their executive boards got together and they talked about how they can work together going forward, how they can schedule things without overlapping, how they can uh, mitigate their, their losses and their cancellations in the meantime. And I think that's a good first step. The arts have always generated conversation and now I think it's important for us to talk among ourselves and to reach out to the people in the same situation we are. Uh, to talk about how we can work together and get ideas together. And we'll start sharing those ideas as we learn about them. Uh, and I think this is one of the first good examples that I heard. Uh, started with um, uh, Maplewood Barn Theater, uh, Columbia Entertainment, and Talking Horse Productions. 
it seems like when and assuming this ends at some point when this ends that we're all going to be fighting suddenly for this for the same pot of money and that's going to you know create issues and as i always say we're not only competing within our own arts community but you know people have a certain amount of money they're able to give to nonprofits every year and that's going to be split between uh, homeless people children uh, boys and girls clubs ronald mcdonald all of these sorts of organizations are going to be struggling and we're all going to be kind of starting at a new start line and and struggling to get funding what can we do i think another repercussion of that is just going to be very low consumer confidence people are going to be feel compelled to hang on to whatever money that they are getting at that point rather than generously sharing it we see a lot of people suggesting now that you know if you're not eating in at a restaurant that you should tip as if you were if you uh, your tickets were canceled, you should donate them back to the organization and not expect to have them refunded. But that's going to depend on people's individual ability to do that. And I realize not everybody has the resources or the flexibility. What are some of the national relief uh, efforts that are being talked about right now? Well, we've, we were looking at those just a few days ago as a possible models for what we would do locally, both in St. Louis and Kansas City and other communities around the state. There are certainly relief efforts that are already taking place, some of them specifically focused on COVID-19, but none of those are specifically addressing the needs of the arts uh, in general. Um, There are relief efforts just for the arts uh, that are out there nationally. Springboard for the Arts in Minneapolis, um, City of Boston is putting together, has put together a, a model. What a lot of communities are doing is they're looking at what existing venues do they have they could do this whether it's a local arts council whether uh, it's a community foundation that is already to set up has a trust set up is set up to allow people to donate and to uh, give money and has the legal uh, structure set up already in place and i would think of communities are looking at doing this i would start there to see if you can set up something so that immediately as people have the the resources to do so, they can help support that and provide some kind of fun. But then there's the issue of how do you set up the criteria for that and and a process for distributing the funds and priorities for who should get the funds. And it feels like an almost unlimited need at this point, unaware of how long this will last and how many people this will affect. Uh, This looks like a pretty big hole to fill, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be trying. I mean, if the uh, the government is putting so much money into into relief efforts, I mean, not say not for the arts, but is that going to put pressure on what money is available for the national endowment for the arts and the trickle down effect of that in future times? Well, I think that's a good question. We don't know the answer how it's going to affect the arts up until this point. We knew that the national endowment for the arts was getting support from Congress. I don't think that's going to go away, but how this affects the federal revenues as well as the state revenues. It might affect us as well. Um, Our funding right now, the legislature is not voting on the budget bill because they want to get a better sense of how this is going to affect the state. So changes are ahead and we have to be adaptable and aware of that in order to address what we know is our our strongest mission and what our responsibility is to the public for for the funds that we use. Give us a little background on how the Missouri Arts Council is funded. What's your annual budget and and where does that come from? Well, it comes from two places. Uh, About 
13% of that comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, and we get around roughly 720000 from the National Endowment for the Arts. And that's important money. We use that money for arts education, for underserved organizations, for um, our staff salaries. Uh, then the, the majority of our money, about another 80, 87%, is from the state. And that's state funds, and that's appropriated. It's, there's an amount recommended from the governor and appropriated by the legislators. And right now we have been recommended for a level appropriation of 4.8 billion. And so far that has remained in the budget. That's for fiscal year 2020. That was for fiscal year 2020 starting July 1st of this year, ending June 30th of 2021. And how is the federal funding decided? How do they decide that we as a state get 720,000? The majority of that money is set by proportionally by population. So 40% of the NEA grant budget goes to states and regional arts organizations for us to regrant. And then the rest of it, they grant directly and within their own programs. One of those programs, for example, is Poetry Out Loud. And we just had the state championship uh, last week. And unfortunately, since then, the national co competition has been canceled. Um, and that's just one of the consequences of the, the current COVID pandemic. So what happens if you get zero funding, if, if the pressure is so great on the state funds that in fiscal year 2021 through 22, there just isn't money, money for the arts? What happens then? Well, to the extent that our funding is reduced, it's going to affect every community. Uh, we have in past years been in 97% of the state's house districts and we are trying to get into more districts. Well, we'll end up getting into fewer districts as a result of that, and we'll have to proportionally reduce our funds to our grantees. We currently spend over 80% of our budget on those direct grants, and so obviously it would have to come from that largest portion of our budget. Now, there is a 2% tax collected from the non-resident and professional athletes and entertainers who visit the state. 2% of the fees that they are paid is put into a special fund um, by state statute. And 60% of that is supposed to be allocated to the Missouri Arts Council Trust Fund. How often is that allocated or fully allocated? We, we get a portion of those funds, not the amount that is um, suggested by statute, because that money does go into general revenues, but we have consistently gotten funding from that um, every year. And I think it is part of the state's commitment to the arts that we do continue to get funds, and I have funds haven't been reduced in the last eight years. I, I asked earlier whether how many organizations that you speak to have a rainy day fund. Does the Missouri Arts Council have a rainy day fund? We do not have a rainy day fund. We have uh, our money used to be uh, collected in the trust. Uh, we still are paid through the trust. How that trust balance has been spent out through the state as requested by the legislature. So we do not have a rainy day fund. We do just have our funding that we get from the state and from the federal government. The trust fund, the trust is no more. The trust still oh. exists, but it, okay. we do not have a balance to operate from in the trust. Last year was a big year for the Missouri Arts Council. You moved from the Department of Economic Development to the Lieutenant Governor's Office, and you made a strategic five-year plan to look at how the arts can better benefit the state's quality of life and education and health and workforce development. So two-part question, what were some of the innovations that you put into the plan? And, and second part, I mean, you didn't see this coming. What happens now? Well, the, the plan we just 
actually just started last fall. So we haven't finished the plan. The plan was something we're still working on, but it is a five-year plan. And as part of that plan, we were looking at the scope of the Missouri Arts Council's impact on the state. You know, we realize as a state agency, our responsibility is to support the state with the arts. And we see that there are a lot of areas in which we can do that. We do that arts education and community programs and development. Uh, certainly we have an obvious economic impact for the state. Uh, last time that was measured, it was over a billion dollars in direct expenditures in the state, both from the arts organizations and the audiences that support them. Um, but we are still developing that plan, and this is obviously going to impact that plan. We're going to have to look at how adaptable we are in situations like this, in terms of how we can support the organizations and how we can develop programs. It may be more of a focus on preservation as opposed to expansion, if our funds are remain the same or even reduced. Uh, but our movement under the Lieutenant Governor's office has been very helpful. We, we have an advocate in, the, in Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe. He has been very supportive in, in advocating for, our, for the arts in a number of places. And so we believe that this is going to be a place where we can thrive I mean, when you look at the amount of money that is put into the arts, and as you just said, the uh, the return that comes back. So I think looking at your 2018 annual report, you provided 4.5 million in funding to 558 organizations. And those organizations in turn generated programming for 6.2 million people, created 6,300 jobs, generated $148 million in salaries, and returned 4.4 million in Missouri state tax revenue. So basically all that activity cost the state just $100,000. But how much does that count when the state is under such pressure? Well, I, I can tell you that those figures, which I can, I'm happy to say are actually have increased in 2019, uh, all those numbers are increased. We make that case to the legislature and to the governor. They know those figures, they get those. And in fact, when the Missouri Citizens for, Citizens for the Arts does their citizens say at the legislature, they'll take their report that we generate to each legislature and explain the, the uh, house district by house district, what arts programming goes on there, what we fund and how they benefit from it. Uh, we also have each of our 554 organizations get a grant, uh, send a letter to their state legislator, their representative, their senator, and the governor, so they're aware of what the impact is at the local level as well. And we really think that that's, I think, the strongest case that we can make for organizations to make that case directly to their legislators and have them know the importance that this has in the community. I mean, with the best will in the world, they're going to be trying to fund a lot of really desperate situations when this is over. So I guess you know, no one has a crystal ball. It's just tough to say at this point how much funding will be available for the arts. What kind of relief entities exist at a national level to, to which artists or performers can turn? I know there's this surf. It's the Craft right Relief Fund, Emergency right. Relief Fund uh, is one of them. Um, there, there are numbers of them. And actually, they're... they're rapidly changing. We're updating this almost daily on our website. There's a, if you go to missouriartscouncil.org, they can find on our, and there's a red banner at the top that says more information about COVID-19. Click there and it'll take you to the page. It has a whole list of those types of organizations. And we're going to continue to update that as things are developed locally, as well as the things that are happening nationally. 
Now, the arts community is by definition the home of creativity. What kind of ideas are you seeing around Missouri or nationwide where organizations are finding ways of creative programming during this time? Well, for example, uh, there's uh, the Children's uh, Literature Festival takes place on the uh, University of Central Missouri. And they've been doing this festival for 52 years. And this is the first year that they had to cancel the in-person festival in which they would bring in schools, busloads of kids from several schools in their area onto campus to meet with authors, to get books, and to hear about children's literature. So what they're doing this year, and I think this is very savvy, is to do a Skype version where they're gonna have the authors Skype into the schools and to be able to talk to the children directly and they still have the books that they'll be able to distribute. And that's just one example. It's not going to be the same event as before, but they're still going to be able to do that event. But I also want to say that we know that there are times when groups cannot replicate their event in a virtual way. And so we don't want them to feel like they're going to be penalized or their reputation is ruined with the Arts Council. We understand the circumstances. We know that accommodations need to be made. And we want to be there and supportive of them as, as much as we can. I know this is a crystal ball question, but when do you see things getting back to normal? Do you think the summer? Do you think it's going to be the fall? Um, I would be less optimistic about the summer than I would be about the fall. But I'm also hearing things from the CDC that this may be waves and, and there will be periods of relative comfort and health and in times when it gets worse. So I'm I'm tightening down for the long haul here. I'm not looking just at this year's budget, but next year's budget and thinking about how, what are the ways that we can do to create grants that are more flexible for grantees that allow them to use resources uh, in ways that help them reach their audience, even if they can't do that in person. Well, I'm sure so many artists and arts organizations are thankful for all that you do and continue to do and will do into the future to support them. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, Michael is the Executive Director of the Missouri Arts Council. Organizations and artists wanting to keep up to date with the Missouri Arts Council's response to COVID-19 and for general information about their programming, can go to MissouriArtsCouncil.org. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Diana. My next guest is none other than the founder of Speaking of the Arts, the lovely Monica Palmer. As regular listeners to the show will know, these days Monica is gainfully employed by the Missouri Symphony Orchestra as its Director of Development, where she works alongside the Executive Director, Trent Rash, and Maestro Kirk Trevor. And as an outsider, I have to say, it is exciting to see how, in a relatively short period of time, the Missouri Symphony feels like it has a new wind in its sails. Or maybe that should be new wind in its brass section. But <laughs> how do you direct development when everything is shut down? Well, as luck would have it, here's Monica. Hello, Monica. Hello. How are you? I'm have you great. figured out the answer to that question yet? Because I'd love to know <laughs> the answer. These are these are rapidly evolving and changing times. Well, so. we're all looking to you for the answer. You are yeah. you know, wonderfully creative. So I'm <laughs> well, going and that's. That's what this requires. This time requires creativity for <laughs> right. sure. Yes. So I'm going to start with a quote, as I know you will like this. This is from the online Vulture magazine. And mm -hmm. here is the quote. The arts are not a luxury, but a public good, a boon even to those who don't buy tickets. They keep the city humming, draw tourists and business and provide a haven 
for non-conformists. Mm. I think everyone working in the arts would give that a resounding yes. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> no, it absolutely is. And that's why I think people are so drawn to Columbia in particular. Uh, no offense to anyone not living in the Columbia area, but I think that's one of the things that people love so much about living here is that the, the arts community uh, is so alive and thriving and uh, there are so many venues and it, there is an energy. That's what I said when I first came for my first interview here when I was interviewing to do mornings on KPLA back in 2005. And I just look, took a walk around downtown and I was just like, there is something here. And I think that is the, the residual effect, I think, of having a thriving arts community. Now, to many people today, classical music seems like a haven for conformists rather mm. than nonconformists. But that <laughs> wasn't always the case, was it? No, absolutely not. I mean, classical music, it was the pop music of its time. This is the, the music that was playing at parties and, you know, people were getting raucous and randy and, you know, this was, this was party music, you know, this was, uh, I'm going to show my age now, but that was like the Beyonce, you know, that's like what you would listen to at a party and, you know, people would, you know, get louder than the musicians, you know, while they were playing cards or drinking or whatever, and the musicians would match by getting louder than them. And so it was just this kind of uh, atmosphere and, and, and one of the things that, you know, I, I say, and I know you've heard me say it, but, uh, you know, when people uh, say, well, is it relevant? You know, is this music relevant to our lives right now? And absolutely it's relevant because it all comes from human emotion, the human experience. There's everything in it that we feel and are going through right now. There's fear, there's uncertainty, there's love, there's anger, there, you know, it, all of that emotion is there. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's fueled by this thing that we're doing right now and trying to figure out life and how, how we do this thing, especially during a time like this where we are confused and we are scared and we are hopeful and we are just trying to, to figure things out. So yeah, so it's very relevant and uh, it, it can be very helpful and healing as I think we we're already starting to see uh, across the world that it, uh, music is becoming very, very important right now. And tell me a little bit about some of the events that you and Trent were going to be doing, but now maybe are on hold during the pandemic. And, and you had mentioned them to me. There are some great little events where you bring some of the nonconformists to light and you give insights into particular yeah. composers. Yeah. So, the, you know, these, these we're still planning, you know, we're still hopeful because I think that's where you have to be at a time like this. You have to keep planning and you have to keep operating under the assumption that everything you've planned and hoped for isn't going up in a cloud of smoke. Otherwise you just become very morose very quickly. <laughs> so we're still planning for Hot Summer Nights, which is scheduled from June 11th through July 11th, 2020. Uh, and, and as you said, you know, we, were, we uh, have been working on uh, not only amazing programming under the direction of our, our uh, skilled music director, Kirk Trevor, you know, he's been planning the, the concerts themselves and what music will be played, you know, with, the, with our professional musicians. But, you know, Trent and I are trying to kind of reach the people who feel like they're not, a, not um, able to access this music that, you know, I don't have a music degree or I, you know, haven't, haven't taken a music appreciation class, so I can't uh, approach this. So we uh, are doing uh, some mosey mixers is what we've <laughs> titled them. So uh, finding some, some local hotspots to gather with people who want to approach this music and want to understand that this is uh, something that they can enjoy and access. And, and one of the ways we're going to do that is helping them get to know the people who wrote it. So, you know, one of 
the things that I think has helped Shakespeare stay relevant and we're still doing Shakespeare's plays and one, they're genius and they're, you know, they still talk about and, and show us who we are, uh, which music can do as well. And I think that helping to know the creators of the music helps you access the music. So getting to know little things like, oh, did you know Richard Wagner liked to uh, conduct or you know, do things uh, in ladies' underwear? Because he really liked the way that the, the silky undies felt <laughs> underneath his men's clothing, you know, knowing little things like that may seem silly, but all of a sudden you see this, uh, this, this art coming from a human, from, from someone who has deep, deep secrets or has quirks or, you know, it, it makes it all of a sudden more accessible and it makes you maybe a little bit more interested in learning more and understanding and listening, leaning in a little closer to the music and trying to see yourself in, in that. And so that's what the Mosey Mixers are kind of like stemming from this idea of if you can get to know the composers or get to know a little bit more about, you know, the, the symphony and, and what it means to go and be an active listener at a, a concert, you know, rather than just having classical music as this idea of, oh, it's something I play in the background, or I play it when I'm trying to get to sleep, or, you know, I play it when I'm trying to focus on something, which are all wonderful uses uh, for symphonic music. But it, it's it's denying you the real real benefit I think of this this kind of music. Those are actually great events that you could do in isolation while we're all quarantined. So you know yes. you and Trent could still be talking about the work and playing the music and and then talking about these events and we could all just go and get a gin and tonic and, and tune into Zoom. <laughs> That's absolutely <laughs> right. And and you're you're reading our minds right now because that is exactly what we're planning because we do believe that you know as an arts organization in times like this that is what we are called to do because we are uh what did you call it a, a community good or a public good we are for the community we are here to you know once the 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 needs are met that we need of food and shelter and air you know those kinds of things then you have to feed the soul and that's music is one of the first things we as as creatures lean in for we we look for we try to create it um you, you just look to italy have you seen the viral video of the people you know out on the balconies singing and they all join in together same thing happened during the plague people were using music when they were isolated to find a way to connect with each other and joining together in song or making music together that's one of those uh kind of ways that we we connect and we're looking forward to, you know, obviously being able to provide that for our community when we start to heal. That's going to be something that's going to be, I mean, if we can look ahead, you know, into the future, several months to those first kind of tenuous outings, just imagine the, you know, the, the tension and we haven't been out of our homes and we haven't gone and sat in a dark theater with people in a really long time. And, but there will be a little bit of, uh, you know, fear or maybe anxiety surrounding that. But then I think there's going to be this overwhelming rush of, oh, appreciation, you know, and that that why the arts exist and why communal um, consumption of performing arts exists because there's a magic that happens when you are part of the process as the audience and you're sitting there with other people and going on a journey 
with them, you know, your own independent journey, because it's kind of in your own mind. Uh, you and I were at a concert together and you were on a train and I was like, uh, I think I was in a bedroom, honestly, but <laughs> we, we have different experiences of, of music, at, but, but experiencing it together as a community uh, is something magical. And that's another thing we're working on right now is how we as a community then in the arts, how we use these you know, first kind of coming back together um, to to affect our community in, in other ways, not only feeding the soul, but how do we get people to, you know, bring food for the food bank or how do we connect resources or, you know, because there will be a time of rebuilding. There will be a time of healing wounds that, you know, necessarily are inflicted to avoid bigger catastrophe. So those are the ways I think that the arts are uniquely positioned uh, to help. Uh, when when it's over, obviously I'm I'm I keep fast forwarding to like months ahead <laughs> because uh, I, there's just so much uncertainty in um, the, the right now. You know, there's there's a lot of people that are struggling, especially in the arts. When events are canceled, there is this incredible domino effect that happens. You know, not just to the artists and the musicians that are the performers, but you know the people who pick up you know, the, the, the theater after a performance is over to the technical crews, to the, the artists who have, you know, studied and, and worked and learned their crafts for, for, you know, decades. And now there's nowhere to, nowhere that their, their particular set of skills translates to because all of the, the arts have just been like closed down right now. And people are getting creative and they're offering, amazing resources to keep people mentally healthy and connected at home. But a lot of these things just are not going to feed them. They're not going to pay them. And that's, that's a scary time. So it's, it's good that I'm seeing also um, resources and ways that uh, we're, we're looking as a, a nation to try to help these people that we recognize they're, you know, some of our most valuable and well, I mean, we're all valuable, but you know, these people that are just kind of like, looking around wondering what am I supposed to do now? Um, this morning, the Metropolitan Opera, they laid off all of their union employees and that includes the musicians, the chorus, and you know, the Met, that's, that's the, the United States' largest performing arts organization. So other organizations are looking to them and, and thinking, oh, maybe this is what we're gonna have to do to survive these coming months, to stay, you know, stay in the black, to stay you know, from going bankrupt and to be here for our communities when it's time to heal, maybe this is the hard decision that we have to make now. And, you know, obviously we're trying to avoid making, you know, too many of those hard decisions um, because we know it affects lives. I think it's difficult for arts organizations because you want to give, be able to give away things for free. We want to be yeah. supportive of people during this time. But also every organization does have its overheads. We do all have rent to pay. We do have things that we can't get rid of. And, and so therefore, how do we sensitively still raise a little bit of money, um, but at the same time recognize that you want to support your community and beyond by offering things for free. Um, right. it's, it's a difficult position that everybody is in. I mean, I feel like the online Mosey, um, what did you just call them? 
the little mosey uh, mosey mixers. Mosey mixers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you bring know, your I, own cocktail at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess you can open it up to make a donation if you feel like you're able to do that, but have right. things for free, and then you know, those of us that are able to make a donation can say, yeah, I happily pay ten dollars to go to the mosey mixer. I can bring my own gin and tonic with me. <laughs> um, and that gives you a chance still to earn some money, but I think that's difficult yeah. for organizations. You know, I think back before 2008, you know, last time we had a, a minor economic issue compared to where we are now, nonprofits weren't really encouraged to have a rainy day fund. It was seen mm. like, you know, you're a nonprofit, you're supposed to give everything right. back. But I think that organizations are a little bit more enlightened, have become more enlightened and as have their audiences over the last few years. And that yes. a rainy day fund is something that people have been trying to build up. I mean, does Mosey have a little bit of a rainy day fund? Yeah, uh, I think that that, you know, is something that the board of directors and the past administrations of uh, Missouri Symphony, you know, Trent and I have only been on board since August, so we can't take any credit for for any of that. But, you know, I think that they've been very intelligent in the way that they've handled money um, and and really ensured the longevity of the organization. And so that's that's, you know, wonderful. But right now our stock market is also one of those things that's very uncertain. And so some of that money is there. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's uncertainty, but crisis management for nonprofit organizations, it looks a little different than, you know, crisis management for you and I, but it is, is essential. Uh, Every nonprofit organization should have a plan for how to handle these kinds of situations and these times uh, so that it doesn't knock them off the rails because we we don't know the future we (laughs) we can plan as best we can and we can hope but you know you have to be also prepared for I think uh, Kirk said in an email uh, exchange with one of our sponsors yesterday when a meeting was being postponed uh, he said you know what we're we're optimistic but we're planning for two different futures right now simultaneously and it was I think that's exactly how we're looking at it we're we're going down two different roads simultaneously right now, as in like on this road, Hot Summer Nights happens and it's a wonderful opportunity for our community to come back together and heal. On this road, maybe it doesn't happen this year, maybe we have to postpone it to next year because you know it's a summer festival, these musicians are generally only available in those months, so postponement isn't really an option. So we were going down these two roads at the same time and just kind of like, balancing it's a balancing act right now so yeah it's it's a little scary but it's also you know what we have to do right in this moment and it's also your 50th birthday anniversary not you personally but the (laughs) Missouri Symphony (laughs) Orchestra (laughs) it's their 50th this year too and so I guess that's something that you can postpone those events until next year if needs be yeah, well, you know, I've already come up with the messaging, you know me, so I've already, you know, we were founded 50 years ago, but our first performance wasn't until 1971, so we can still celebrate our 50th anniversary uh, if we have to push it off to 2021. That's not, you know, we can always find a reason to celebrate, in my mind. So, <laughs> so you know, either way, uh, it's, it's going to be a season to celebrate, um, you know, I think um, we we'll be celebrating other things. I think when this is over, we're going to be celebrating um, the community spirit uh, of people coming together and, and recognizing that we are one, we are all in this together. There's no, you know, division and labels will stop existing at, at some point of, you know, Republican or Democrat, you know, these labels will no longer mean anything. It will be human and human. And that, 
that's something to celebrate. Um, right now, personally, I'm struggling with the fact that I can't see my mother who's in a nursing home. And, you know, so celebrating the fact that grandkids and grandparents are going to be holding hands walking into the Missouri theater again. I mean, that's something to celebrate for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that just there, there's going to be a lot of things to celebrate. Isolated musicians, one of the worst things to do to especially uh, a musician that performs in a symphony <laughs> is to isolate them and not give them an opportunity to come together in that group, uh, that organism that is created and gives life to harmony and gives life to uh, some of the most beautiful uh, expressions that, w- that we as humans get to get to enjoy. Uh, that's that's a very hard thing right now that uh, a lot of people are suffering through. And so when that is over and we get to do that again, that will be something to celebrate. So we're going to have a lot of things uh, to celebrate other than than a, a milestone for this organization. So and and it'll be very meaningful. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. I knew you'd find a silver lining and an optimistic. <laughs> I always do. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all this. Well, Monica, as always, it is a delight to talk to you and I shall remain optimistic about the fact that Hot Summer Nights may take place in June. And once again, the sound of music will be resounding around the world and downtown Columbia. For more information about the Missouri Symphony Orchestra, go to themosey.org. That's T-H-E-M-O-S-Y.org, where if you click on the Listen tab, you can listen to a number of past concerts to soothe you during the coming weeks. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. As we're doing things a little differently this week, there is a third act to today's show, and my guest is the person I call Q2, the extraordinarily capable director of the Columbia Art League, Kelsey Hammond. Kelsey has been at the helm of the Columbia Art League since August last year and has already redecorated, rearranged the furniture, and firmly stamped her mark on all things Cal. As well as running the Art League, she's also an artist and a business owner, and like everyone else in the arts world right now, is gulping hard and wondering which way is up. It is a pleasure to welcome back to the now virtual Speaking of the Arts studio, (laughs) Kelsey Hammond. Hello, Q2. Hello, Q1. Hello. (laughs) There was a lovely piece about you in the Columbia Daily Tribune this week, penned by the ever-insightful Eric Danielson, who wrote, Kelsey Hammond meets each day with one desire, to share art with others in small doses, to capture their attention and bring a little beauty on the way to work, class, coffee, or any errand that awaits. How is that going for you right now? Well, you know, uh, you know, it actually... (laughs) It's kind of the same. It's just more of an online situation. So um, with people not going out as much, you know, they're glued to their screens. My Facebook uh, world is a lot more active than it has been lately. So, <laughs> For know. many people, I mean, the arts are crucial to our sense of well-being, of feeling connected and of just being human beings. So with IRL, in real life, as those those of us who are acronym challenged, as uh, with IRL being no longer open for business, I mean, how do you achieve that goal? I mean, what are you doing online that's different than, than you were doing before for Cal? I mean, I think right now we're still in planning mode and trying to figure things out. We closed on Friday of last week. So this week has been really spent on getting our classes to be Zoom classes, to be online. So Karen's been working hard at that. I am thinking and wondering and planning on how to do gallery shows virtually, you know, depending on how long we have to be closed. So that's kind of where we are right now. I would love to be able to help sell our artists' artwork still online if we can do that. So 
we are sort of looking at the possibilities right now more than anything else, but hopefully we're sharing some kind of fun stuff that people can be doing at home, checking in with our artists to make sure that they're, you know, feeling like they can get some work done, but also not that they're completely alone. So what are you hearing from visual artists in the community? A couple of people are excited for the time to honestly to be at home and, and working and um, which is kind of nice, you know, and then um, some others are, you know, a little concerned about if they had, if, you know, if there was work here, if it's going to be shown or seen by other people and how can they either pick that artwork up and then put it on their own website or is there a way that we can help? So we're sort of also going through that and trying to figure that out as well. I mean, within our local art scene, there are not a huge number of artists who rely solely on sales of their artwork as a source of income. But there are many sure. people for whom buying art supplies really does require some sacrifice. Have you had any discussions with the board about how Cal might be able to assist that component of their lives? We haven't yet. I mean, these are all questions that we have. Again, we're sort of, you know, in this unprecedented um, time. So we're... Um, I don't know we're, we're chatting and figuring things out there's sort of a constant conversation happening about what we can do and what the need is really you know so I think some some questions will be going out soon of what's the best way you can see us helping um what do you want from us what can we do to provide stuff for you you know I'd love to host like a critique online that we could do where people could show their work and you know get more community involvement that way just kind of to let people feel like they're not totally alone wherever we are so I, lo I love that idea. I think that uh, right now, a lot of the information we're seeing from arts organizations is very one directional. People are streaming lots of things. We can go online, we can go to galleries, we can listen to music. But if you are an artist, you know, part of your passion is the creation. It's the active component rather than just the passive component. So right. I love the idea of online critiques and online... I don't know, kind of somehow that people can be talking about their work or talking about an artwork and giving yes. their opinion. Um, yeah. That uh, it's a great, it's a great forum. I, I think, I think I wish I'd bought shares in Zoom. Right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a great way for anybody that hasn't downloaded the Zoom app yet. Right. So then I would say go and do that because it's a really a great way that we can all get together virtually. Um, yeah. So right now you're scheduled to be closed through the end of the month. And I see a lot of organizations with a similar closure line. But what is the trigger for reopening? This magical two weeks that everybody is talking about. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's a it's a figure out of the sky. It really is. And I think that when the decision was made, that figure was sort of like, okay, that will help flatten a curve, you know, the sort of the, that will be, that will be it. And then every day, you know, new information comes out, things change all the time. So, um, you know, will it might end up being longer at this point. I don't know exactly. I'm sort of, I guess, waiting to see what the direction is from the city, from the state. I mean, from the government at large, seems like we can't totally put all of our eggs in that basket. But, um, you know, if other, other places like the Bay Area in California, you know, they're sheltering in place. They're sort of like not leaving anywhere. So how do we, if we are in that kind of space, how do we keep going? How do we make it work? And I think it's that constant connection and conversation and just kind of checking in with people and seeing what people feel comfortable with. You know, I don't want to be open and then, you know, have people not even want to come out of their homes, you know, and I don't know, that wouldn't actually be helpful. So yeah, I don't know, we're, we're, we're going to try to do as much as we can online, 
and set things up so that we can do that if that is necessary, basically. I know the big question for you, and I don't want to make you break down here, but it's art in the park, <laughs> which would you know Ooh, makes you break down nice. even in a good year. Um, <sighs> as I as I well know, planning is already well underway at this point. I mean, what are yep. your thoughts about that? You know, I've had lots of um, people who've been accepted to art in the park ask, and and you know, some people have had accepted and now are saying, you know, I don't, I just don't think I can do it either for financial other financial reasons or just because they are um not wanting to travel or do whatever um which all makes sense to me of course so right now i'm still in that weird little holding pattern which is really actually the more terrifying place to be i think than anything else if i had a clear direction at this point of like we absolutely don't recommend that this could happen then i would just shut her down we would try to reschedule for later or we would postpone for the year you know and it would, it would suck but at least it would be a decision so I'm still kind of in hold mode um and this is we're recording this on a Thursday right I mean you know it might all change by the time this even comes out so so no one holds me to this exactly but um <laughs> I guess my non-answer is that I'm just not sure I think I think that probably it will have to be rescheduled in some way and, and that is really hard to say out loud, but I think that's probably where we are, so. I was I was just talking to Monica Palmer and she was saying, you know, talking about Hot Summer Nights and that program, which is, right. I feel like we're planning for two eventualities right now. Right, We exactly. have to plan for it to happen and we have to plan for it not to happen. Exactly. And so you're trying to kind of double up right. the work for it. Right, right, yes, yeah. I mean, to say that we are, you know, like, I, I love I love and I totally support the people who are like I'm at home I'm watching all the shows I have you know I've the binge forever and I'm like live your best life I'm so happy for you I actually have been planning for that my whole life as well I'm actually doing a lot of jobs right now trying to you know figure these things out I mean everyone is of course working really hard but but it is it is sort of yes it is like doubling up on all the work <laughs> and um knowing that one of those one of that amount of effort is going to be very sad if when you have to pull the plug, if you have to pull the plug. So, I mean, that time of year, I mean, every, every, all over the Midwest, there are festivals happening at that time of year. Right. I mean, as, as you know, right. there's another like four or five on the same weekend as Art in the Park. There are festivals yeah. all through May. There are festivals carrying on all through June. Have you got together with any of the festival directors to, to talk and see what they're doing? And because I guess it's going to be kind of like a domino effect. Right, right. I mean, I think honestly, like it's been, it, this has been many um, Facebook messages started and then kind of not wanting to hear the reality of what someone says. I mean, is it just very childish to be like, I don't want to and kind of like throw down my pen and like, mm, I, okay, I'll just go over here for a while. <laughs> um, I feel like we're afforded a couple of those days, um, which is maybe where I am right now. But, but yeah, I mean, I think the reality is that, um, and some of the reasons some of the artists are kind of asking the question is, well, now this has been canceled. So I don't know if I'll be able to do yours because, and there's a lot of like blanks in all of those sentences of, well, this, because of this, because of this. And I think, you know, a lot of, especially our art in the park artists, this is their, their funding for their whole summer, you know? So right. if they miss one, that boost fee is needed for the next thing. You know, what they make at that one show is going to carry on to the next and it's sort of, it is that domino effect. So yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the fall will be 
you know, things will be better. And of course, this isn't an official statement, but that things would be better so that if we were to postpone that we could do it sometime in the fall. But as we know, also the fall is already incredibly busy, you know, so it's sort of thinking about what is the actual reality of that as well. So. Well, I just spoke to Michael Donovan earlier in the show too, and he said, I'm not optimistic about the summer, but you know, I feel a little bit more optimistic about the fall, but you know, potentially this could come in waves. So, right. you know, even though it might it might fade over the summer, we don't know at this point, but it might right. resurrect in the fall. And so everything right. is just you know, one week at a time right now. I know, it really is. It really is. And I think, you know, the sort of I was talking to my cousin who's a, a scientist and she was saying, Well, you know, we just do what we gotta do and we'll just keep I mean, she's practically British. Let's let's be honest, <laughs> you know, she's sort of like, keep calm, we'll just carry on. But um she very much was sort of saying like that that making making all of the contingency plans is kind of the way to do it right now. Um, so while that feels sort of crazy making, um, that's just kind of how we have to go. So whilst you're busy looking on Facebook and we're all exploring the <laughs> web to see what's out there, have you seen any great fine arts pandemic response or some ideas that you know we can copy here in Colombia? <laughs> I know, right? Um, well, I like the idea very much of these um, viewing these viewing rooms that people are talking about. Um, where you have sort of a, as if you're sitting in the gallery or in um, a space with a curator or with someone who can kind of virtually tour you around and give you more information. So it's not just a sort of static website that has lots of pictures and then you sort of thumb through on your own, which of course might be what we end up having to do, but, but having a space that's much more like you can move around in the room yourself and kind of experience the art as if you were in the space, that sort of thing. I think that's something to look into for sure. And I think that's really cool and makes you feel like you're a part of it as opposed to just sort of a passerby. But I think more conversations with artists, I, I would love to do more Q and A's with people and, and just find out about their process. I feel like some of the smaller stuff that we have loved, that we've talked about at Cal of doing of like, you know, giving that, that experience to the public or whomever of what artists do and how they, even what their methodologies are all of that stuff kind of gets pushed to the side because we're so busy with the day-to-day -day operations. And I feel like in some of this, you know, this might be the chance to kind of open up that extra space that we haven't been able to do because of time, you know, right? maybe, maybe not, but that's kind of a goal. So I think other places are also thinking about that. What are the things that we just could never get to? And now we kind of have a little bit more time to do it. I agree. I was looking at Google Arts and Culture has a has a great link to many museums yeah. around the world. And I was looking at the Rijks Museum in Amsterdam, which is an amazing treasure trove of, of fabulous work. Yes. And what I loved about it is that they the storytelling that the digital world offers the yes. viewer. So you can go and look at an artwork and then they tell you the story about it and they zoom in in certain places and you can really engage with it in a way that yeah. you don't when you look at it on a wall because then you're by right. yourself and you don't know what the narrative is. You don't know what the artist's intention is. You don't see the extra little lines that have been put in. And it was so right. interesting to, to look at that. And uh, I remember years ago, somebody at the Art League saying, I, uh, do you ever do art tours? Because I don't really know what I'm looking at when I'm looking at an artwork. And so right. this does feel right. like there is a potential silver lining that yeah. you could really go into depth with artists and with their artwork and, and technique. So is that, so yeah. that is something that you're actively planning to do. Yes, that is. And, and I think that even um, we had taken a trip, our little, our staff over to the Nelson Atkins um, a couple of weeks ago now. And um, one of the things that we were talking about, you know, Karen was sort of like, 
okay, so here's how you can approach an artwork when you're looking at it and, and using some of the language that she uses with her students, whether they're children or adults, of how to how to look at art. You know, what are the what's the visual language that we is common to us visually, but we may not have words to put to it. And so I think that's a really good way to sort of jump off in that space. Um, and I think, you know, Karenis has sort of unending uh, pockets of information and a wealth of knowledge. So I think that we'll be utilizing some of those more strategically in terms of just talking about art. You know, how do we, how do, we do that? How do we engage in it more? How do we make it a deeper connection there? So that should be on the list. Let me write that down. <laughs> <laughs> and online classes, when do they start? So all of our spring classes, I think, except for two, are going online um, for the kids' classes and the adult classes. So they'll be, I don't know if they're all sold out or not. Karen and I are talking tomorrow to get more of that figured out. So if we have space, um, which potentially we could if they are online, yeah, then we will be um, putting that on our website and on Facebook and that kind of thing to announce that we have more space, but that's a good way. You still get the same instruction. You do it through Zoom, which you know we're using right now, which is basically just a video where you can see what's happening. And um, obviously this is our first time doing it, our instructor's first time doing it. So we're all sort of figuring out the perks, but, but that might be fun if you're at home. This is a good way to get some art in your life. <laughs> I think we're so used to everything being polished. We see things on TV, everything's high production value. Right. And suddenly we're, we're, all, we're all in it together. We're all struggling to work right, out right, what the right, normal right. is and how to work all this technology. And there is something so engaging about that, that we are really all in this together. It feels like this has kind of, in some ways, brought the world together. That We are yes. all fighting this outside foe as if aliens had landed. And right. <laughs> yes, suddenly exactly. we are, yeah. we're all in the same team. Right, right. <laughs> It's, it's very true, very true. We're all squirting hand sanitizer at them, but yes, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey. I know you'll keep us posted on things that are happening. My third act guest today has been Kelsey Hammond, the executive director of the Columbia Art League and possibly an Art in the Park festival in June, but we'll watch that space and keep our fingers crossed. To keep up to date on Columbia Art League news and classes and virtual shows and virtual <laughs> tours and talks, go to columbiaartleague.org. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of this week's digitally recorded Speaking of the Art Show, where guests joined me live via Zoom into my home Speaking of the Arts studio. I have been thinking a lot about how Speaking of the Arts can play its part in keeping the local arts vibrant in our lives over the coming weeks. And so I reached out to some of our well-known local arts makers and organizers with an idea. How about each Friday on Speaking of the Arts, we have a tour of the arts with a book review, a classical music journey, an in-depth look at a work of art, a visit of theatrical scenes with local actors, maybe a chat about a new film or documentary that's available for streaming. I got a resounding yes from everyone. So that's what we're going to do. Rather than have two longer acts on each week's show, we'll have six acts, each giving us a short dive into a different artistic genre presented by our local arts makers. Even in quarantine, we will stay arty Columbia.